If you're visiting with us this morning, uh, we've just kicked off a new study as we'll be preaching through the book of Ephesians. Just did the introductory verses last week, and now we get into the main body of the letter. So as we move past Paul's opening greeting into the main body of Ephesians, let's begin with an explosive expression of praise. In other words, let's begin where Paul begins. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This opening phrase is so distinctively worded that no one but a sincere Christian specifically attempting to ascribe to God the exclusive glory due his name can even offer this statement as worshipful praise. But if you have been saved by the grace of God through your union with the Son of God, you too can cry from the depth of your soul, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The book of Ephesians opens with a 202-word run-on sentence (laughs) that is utterly saturated with descriptive language detailing our redemption, and it is offered as one continuously glorious declaration of praise. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, if, if you are able to offer these words to God from a, sincere, from a sincere heart this morning, then rejoice. Because a supernatural miracle has occurred in your life. If you can offer genuine praise to God as the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, then a miracle so powerful and so profound has occurred in your life that it will take us a few weeks just to unpack the one single summary sentence that Paul offers us describing everything that has happened to you. Through our study of Ephesians, may we grow in our ascribing God, the glory, do his name. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, may our ascribing glory to God for our lives translate into our applying the gospel of God to our lives. Our passage this morning is Ephesians 1, verses 3 and 4. But what I want to do this week and in subsequent weeks is read all of 3 through 14 because this is the section that in Greek is one long sentence. So let's keep it together. Brothers and sisters, hear the word of Almighty God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, We have redemption through his blood, 
the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him, We have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of Of his glory. Indeed, amen, Father. We praise you because, as those who have come to believe that these words are true, because of our union with your Son and because of the indwelling presence of your Holy Spirit, we praise you. We praise you that these things are true not just generally, but they are true for us personally. And so would you lead us this morning and in the coming weeks to help us to grow in a deeper and fuller understanding of everything that these verses mean for us. And we ascribe to you the glory due your name. We love you and praise you and ask you to lead us now through the power of the Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're just tackling verses three and four this morning. And just even here, there are three big concepts that we need to unpack as we walk through our passage. So first, we're going to look at the reality that the Father is worthy of our praise because of his glorious grace. Secondly, we want to tackle the idea that the Father has spoken his approval over us in every way in Christ. And third, the Father chose us before time to reflect his holiness for all time. So let's begin then with the first big idea and just start plowing ahead. Now there are a few ideas we need to grasp in verses 3 through 14 in order to understand the nature of what Paul is doing here. In the original Greek, these comprise that one long, glorious, multi-layered sentence. So, As we unpack it, let's first note that all three members of the Trinity are magnificently on display here. Generally speaking, we see the Father's work in verses 3 through 6. We see the Son's work in about verses 7 through 10. And then in 11 through 14, we see the role of the Holy Spirit take center stage. Now this opening section here in 3 through 14 follows the Old Testament format of offering a word of blessing or or in Greek it's the word 
from which we get our word eulogy or benediction. Now, we're probably most familiar with eulogies at something like a funeral or a memorial service where whenever possible, someone usually stands up and offers words of honor to the person who has died. Or you might think about it like this, at the end of our services, when we corporately gather together, usually the person that teaches stands up at the end and offers one final eulogy, that is one final benediction, bene good, diction speaking, one final word for us before we depart. Now, Kathy mentioned this at the coffee house. Our brothers and sisters in Kenya, often when they would speak, especially in public or before the group, they would, they would usually say their name and then offer some kind of eulogy or brief blessing or benediction, talking about who God is or something that God has done. And then people would typically respond by either repeating that phrase or just offering a simple amen. So, for example, biblically speaking, in the Old Testament, in Psalm 41 and verse 13, the psalmist says, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting, amen and amen. This is the kind of example that we're talking about when our brothers and sisters in Kenya offer a brief benediction before they speak. Or a different example from Psalm 66 and verse 20. The psalmist says, blessed be God, because he has not rejected my prayer or removed his steadfast love from me. Now, this is the kind of example that Paul is utilizing here. He is blessing or he is praising or he is speaking well of God precisely because of what God has done. The issue just happens to be that in Paul's mind, what God has done is so glorious that this won't be a brief benediction. So he carries on and on and on describing the greatness of everything that has been done for both believing Jews and converted Gentiles in Christ Jesus. Now three times in this opening, Paul mentions that God is to be praised for his glorious grace, verse 6, or that all that has happened to us is to the praise of his glory, verse 12, or that what will happen to us is to the praise of God's glory, verse 14. Now, all of this helps us to understand what Paul's getting at when he describes how and why God is worthy of blessing. On to our specific verses. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now, the root word here. In Greek, for all three uses of blessed or blessing is the word that we've been talking about, the word for eulogy or benediction. 
Sinclair Ferguson summarizes the idea about as simply as it can be said here. He says, We speak well of the Lord because in Christ, the living word, he has spoken well of us. Now, for sure, more needs to be said to unpack this idea. But that's the essence of what Paul is saying here and what Paul means by blessing here in verse 3. We might summarize verse 3 this way. The Father is publicly worthy of our praise. That is, our good speaking, our benediction, our eulogy. Because he has publicly declared or spoken his approval, his, his good speaking, of us in every way possible in Christ in the spiritual realm. Now, at River Oaks, we try to cultivate this idea, this practice in dads from a very, very early time. Think about our baby dedications, if you've been here for one or many of those. We specifically ask fathers to lay their hands on their children's heads to offer words of eulogy or benediction or to publicly bless their children as they commit themselves to their children before God and before us who as the body are serving as witnesses to their solemn vow. Now, when I'm at sporting events, I, I always find it interesting to watch the interactions between the children or the players or the athletes and their parents who are often in the stands. I can't tell you in all my years of coaching Little League how many times I have seen children in tears because they hear their father in the stands, bellowing condemnation at them publicly. And they fight it back, and they choke it back. And frankly, the worst offenders are usually coaches. They're pleased to be gracious to everyone else's son. But my son knows better. And so they are shameless with their shaming of their children. Conversely, it's fascinating to see to see even high school athletes when they're playing in a in a in a basketball game or a soccer game or a volleyball game. When a father publicly yells his approval and a son or daughter after a great play might just kind of take a glance into the stands or maybe they'll just kind of point or something like that. You can't always tell, but it's fascinating when you see the connection. In other words, I hear you. I hear you, Dad. I hear you, Mom. Thanks. I wonder what messages. I wonder what messages, even subtle ones, you believe the Father is speaking to you on a daily basis as you live out your life. The imagery evoked by verse 3 is that if you asked any being, 
any spiritual being who lives in the spiritual realm, what God the Father thinks of those who are in Christ, they might say something like, look, we are here in the shadows, you know, as it were in the spiritual stands. We're watching this whole thing play out on earth in the physical realm, and all we hear all day long from God the Father is, that's my boy. There's my girl. Brothers and sisters, in Christ, in Christ, the miracle is that we each become favored in the Father's sight. You know what favor looks like, right? You go to the Christmas program, and there's a hundred children on the stage, but you have eyes set on one. Or in our case, six or eight, <laughs> right? There is language in Hebrews 12 that evokes the imagery of an arena, an arena of witnesses in the spiritual realm cheering us on as we finish our race. Now, if this is true for others in the spiritual realm, Perhaps, how much more our heavenly Father who is perfect. If this is true for imperfect earthly fathers, perhaps how much more true for our heavenly Father. Now we regularly feel kind of pressed down and beaten up by our struggles in this life. And how many times do you kind of sense the Father has got to be disappointed in me? But what if that were actually, in fact, not true at all? What if you could look into the spiritual stands, as it were, and see your heavenly Father's radiant smile? What if you could look into the stands and just catch a glimpse of his omnipotent fist pump? Which would be impressive. Or what if you could just hear his voice while you continued to press on and you heard something like, great job, keep going, I'm proud of you, son. Had a girl. I'm with you. I'm for you. I love you. Don't quit. Keep going. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Go, go, go. The essence of verse three is that we are favored. We are blessed. We are declared pleasing to the Father because we are physically represented in the spiritual realm by Christ himself. And God's not embarrassed by that reality at all. The Father was never shy about communicating publicly about his love and his approval of Jesus. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Matthew three seventeen. The Father thundered this approval at the baptism of Jesus from the spiritual realm. He did the same thing when Jesus took Peter and James and John up on the mountain 
as they talked with, or as Jesus talked with Moses and Elijah, and Jesus became bright, nuclear white. It was so impressive that, you know, Peter just started (laughs) talking and talking and talking until the Father cut him off to declare to everyone there that he absolutely loves his son and that he fully approves of his son in every possible way. Whatever else it means that we are blessed in Christ, in the spiritual realm, at its its root is the declared approval, the public favor of God, a eulogy from the Father, a benediction from our spiritual dad, who is Lord of the universe. It is the beloved blessing and favor of our heavenly Father. Indeed, that is a miracle. Perhaps there is no clearer way to express this truth Perhaps there is no greater truth that we need to understand than the simple truth Paul offers here. We have been chosen by God. We have been chosen for salvation by God, our Father. Verse 4, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. The Father chose us before time to reflect his holiness for all time. But I think the key to understanding this last idea is not to think about it as if Paul somehow just decided to insert a controversial statement here uh, to confuse everyone or to make a theological argument. Rather, we should take it for what it is in context. It is a mind-blowing reason to praise God for his grace as we continue to look through the lens of God's fatherhood toward us because that's the context of what Paul is saying. Peter, quoting from Leviticus 11.44, said these words, As as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. 1 Peter 1.14 and 16. Peter goes on to say in the next couple of verses, If you call on him as father... You see the connection between fatherhood and holiness. If you call on him as father, essentially act like your father who has called you into relationship with himself. Now, we see little kids do this all the time. When they're small, boys want to have big muscles like their dad or wear a shirt like their dad. I just saw three Siler men that looked pretty much identical to Ben walking out all with their shirts hanging out and looking cool. Or little girls want daddy to watch them again and again and again do something that they know will meet daddy's approval 
so daddy will fawn all over them again and again and again. The power comes when children become young men and women and in far more important ways still view imitating mom or dad's passions or character or biblical convictions as right and as good the degree to which they reflect their heavenly father's convictions. We will miss a key element of what it means to pursue holiness if we do not think about it first and foremost as children seeking to imitate our father who is holy and conducts himself in a holy way all of the time. Because we love and because we honor and because we esteem our Father in heaven, we therefore, as his children, naturally want to be like him. Now, I know that many of us have had absent fathers or abusive fathers, and and so conjuring up thoughts of our fathers can be painful just by itself. But God is capable of redeeming how we think about fatherhood. Indeed, God is able to even redeem mistakes and sins that fathers commit, even to their own children. By His grace, through the blood of Jesus Christ. The presence of a godly father in a child's life and a child's reciprocal desire to please his father as a means of of honoring him, as a means of pleasing him, is a powerful motivator for godliness and holiness. John G. Patton was a missionary to the New Hebrides Islands, which today is Vanuatu. The first two missionaries who landed there were killed as they landed on the beach and eaten by cannibals. But that was not the end of the story. Later, Patton would write, referencing the martyrs who died, Thus were the New Hebrides baptized with the blood of martyrs, and Christ thereby told the whole Christian world that he claimed these islands as his own. More missionaries would come to the islands, including John Patton and his beloved wife. And God has done a great saving work there, which began in the mid-1800s. The courageous man described the moment he left his own father to begin the journey to these remote islands to serve as a missionary. The train station from their home was a long walk. Here is the account that Patton records in his autobiography. My dear father walked with me the first six miles of the way. His counsel and tears and heavenly conversation on that parting journey are as fresh in my heart as if it had been but yesterday, and tears are on my cheeks as freely now as then whenever memory steals me away to the scene. For the last half mile or so, 
we walked on together in almost unbroken silence. My father, as was often his custom, carrying hat in hand, while his long, flowing yellow hair, then yellow, but in later years white as snow, streamed like a girl's down his shoulders. His lips kept moving in silent prayers for me, and his tears fell fast when our eyes met each other in looks for which all speech was vain. We halted on reaching the appointed parting place. He grasped my hand firmly for a minute in silence and then solemnly and affectionately said, God bless you, my son. Your father's God prosper you and keep you from all evil. Unable to say more, his lips kept moving in silent prayer. In tears, we embraced and parted. I ran off as fast as I could and went about to turn a corner in the road where he would lose sight of me. I looked back and saw him standing with head uncovered where I had left him, gazing after me. Waving my hat goodbye, I rounded the corner and out of sight in an instant. But my heart was too full and too sore to carry me further, so I darted into the side of the road and wept for a time. Then rising up cautiously, I climbed the dike to see if he yet stood where I had left him. And just at that moment, I caught a glimpse of him climbing the dike and looking out for me. He didn't see me. And after he gazed eagerly in my direction for a while, he got down, set his face toward home and began to return. His head still uncovered and his heart, I felt sure, still rising in prayers for me. I watched through blinding tears till his form faded from my gaze. And then, hastening on my way, vowed deeply and often, by the help of God, to live and act so as never to grieve or dishonor such a father and mother as he had given me. If the power of an imperfect earthly father and mother can so motivate someone to godliness... How much more, our Father in heaven. In chapter 5 and verse 1, Paul will say, Be imitators of God as beloved children. Now getting our motivation right here has massive implications for our pursuit of holiness. Every other religion in the world essentially says, God is in heaven and you are not. You better try your best to get here. Our God says in Christ, you already are here in the spiritual realm. Before you had done anything, I chose you to be holy. And in Christ, I seated you with him alongside me. Every other religion says, how are you going to work your way toward the heavenly spiritual realm? Will you be able to make yourself good enough or holy enough to be approved and accepted by God? But, blessed be the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who sent his only Son to come get us. Blessed be our Father in heaven who hikes up his robe and runs toward us, and celebrates when we come home. How different is the gospel itself. Blessed be the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who chose us to be holy, 
clothed us with the holy righteousness of his son through faith and then empowered us with the Holy Spirit to guarantee we ultimately accomplish what the Father has planned for us since before there was time. Holiness is a high calling. But we have a Father. Every one of us has a heavenly Father who has modeled it for us. Holiness is a high calling, but we have a Father who created us for this purpose, according to verse 4. Holiness is a high calling, but we have a Father who sent his Son not just to earth, but to Calvary to redeem us from our unholiness through our union with him. Holiness is a high calling, but in Christ we have already been freely declared to be what we are now freely called to become. Holiness is a high calling, but in Christ we have already been fully blessed, fully accepted, and fully approved, not just by the holiest being in the universe, but by our Father in heaven. Brothers and sisters, this is the reality that frees us to reflect the holiness of our Father with pure and unrestrained joy. In Christ alone, our hope is found as we have already sung. And in Christ alone, the assurance of the Father's blessing makes us secure forever. Therefore, we can say with Paul, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, would you... Correct in us anything that needs to be corrected in terms of how we view you and your love, your disposition, your favor toward us. Father, you know us better than anyone. Would you, even at this moment, through the power of the Holy Spirit, Reveal to us in a fresh and clear way the reality of the glory of what you have accomplished for us in Christ. And I pray that the fruit of coming to a deeper understanding of this truth would cause confidence and Assurance, that is, blessed assurance, to be cemented into our hearts. To that end, lead us while we respond in song, I pray in Jesus' name, amen.